Welcome to church, everybody. It is so good to see all of you in God's house. We are glad that you are here. We're, we want to welcome all of our locations, our online, our television audience. We're glad that you are here as well to hear a word from God. If you have your Bible, would you take it out? If you need a Bible, raise your hand. The ushers would be glad to give you one. Let's go ahead and all hold this up and make this declaration of our faith all together. Ready, go. This is my Bible. It is my primary source of spiritual nourishment. I will read it every day and become all that God wants me to be. My mind will be renewed. My life will be transformed. I will become fully surrendered to Christ. Therefore, I will hide his word in my heart so I can be all that he has destined me to be. Amen and amen. If you would kindly remain standing in honor of God's word, we are going to the book of Daniel, the book of Daniel. And by the way, this isn't my subject today, but a lot of things are happening in the world today um, that uh, point to uh, end time fulfillment of prophecy. And if you want to understand exactly what is happening, you must understand the book of Daniel, specifically Daniel's vision. If you don't understand Daniel's vision, you have no idea what biblical prop- prophecy is all about. And so I want to uh, encourage you to, to go and study that. But today we're looking at Daniel chapter 3, perhaps one of the most famous, if not the most famous story in the book of Daniel about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. Daniel chapter 3 verse number 16 says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, everybody say, if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury, and the expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. And he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and their other garments and were cast in the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace was exceedingly hot, the flame of fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound in the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he arose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered the king and said, true, O king. Look, he answered, I see four loose walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the son of God. Can you say amen? Amen. Hebrews chapter 12, verse number one and two, our feature text for this series. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside the weight and the sin that does so easily beset us, ensnare us, hinder us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking on to Jesus, the author 
and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Today we are in a series, continuing in our series, Unhindered, where you and I are learning how to do exactly what that last portion of Scripture said. Lay aside the weight. Lay aside the sin so that you and I no longer hinder God or get in God's way so that God can do in and through our lives what God wants to do. Because many times it's not the person, it's not the enemy, it's not the circumstance, but it's us that stands in the way of what God wants to do in our lives. And so with that in mind, I want to minister to you from the subject, living an uncompromised life. Living an uncompromised life. Let's pray. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, we come to you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that it is might, it is power, it is health, it is wisdom, it is knowledge to each and every single one of us. We receive everything, even in advance of what you're about to put in our hearts so that you can do what you want to do. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said, you may be seated. If linguistic unfairness existed, the word compromise would be on the list. The etymology of the word describes a decision that is both healthy and good. It consists of two Latin words, com, which means together, and prometier, which means to promise. And when you put these two things together, it describes a joint promise on two sides to come together and solve a problem. And in a lot of spheres of life, compromise is both good, necessary, and healthy. If you're married, you know you cannot have a successful, healthy, good marriage without learning how to compromise. There are times in your marriage where you will not see eye to eye on things and you could die on that particular hill and destroy your marriage or you could give in and you can meet somewhere in the middle and move forward and have a healthy marriage. In work and business, we know that sometimes it is necessary to compromise. For example, you put in a quote and uh, uh, there are three other quotes and the people really want to use you, but your price is a little bit higher. In order to get the work, you may have to drop your price just a little bit in order to get to work and move on to the next job. And so compromise is sometimes necessary in business and in in work. In politics and in diplomacy, we all know compromise is absolutely essential. And the reason why we have a faltering, failing government, no matter who is in leadership, is because we have a refusal to compromise. Everybody wants it one way or the other way. And so in many spheres of life, compromise is both healthy and good. But at the core of compromise is empathy for other people. It is seeking first to understand and then to respond. However, this healthy and good word takes on an entirely different meaning when placed in the context of our relationship with Christ. In our relationship with Christ, it is neither good nor healthy, but rather harmful and spiritually dangerous to compromise. Perhaps the most glaring scripture that demonstrates this truth is the words of the master himself in Revelation chapter 3 where he says this, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. 
I wish that you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm, middle position, and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Here we see a clear warning against taking a middle position. In the context of our relationship with Christ, compromise is clearly not a becoming characteristic of a Christian. What does it mean to compromise when placed in the context of our relationship with Christ. It means to lower one's standards. It means standing in the way of God. It means opening the door for the enemy. It means short-circuiting God's plan and purpose for our life. It means potentially missing out on what God has for us. But here's the definition that God gave me that I think that captures the essence of compromise. Choosing self and comfort over Christ. Because let's think about it. Why do we compromise as Christians? Because we think that the choice that God wants us to make is not convenient. We think that the choice that God wants us to make is sometimes not comfortable. We think that the choice that God wants us to make is somehow not best for our lives. And so we think we have a better way that will suit us better and help us to achieve what we want in our lives. And so when faced with decisions like that, many of us, including yours truly, will often compromise. And so compromise is choosing self and comfort over Christ. And let's face it, we have entered into a day and age where society and culture has made it easier for us to compromise because for the first time in human history, the weird and the stupid and the coarse are becoming the cultural norm, even our cultural ideal. If I would have told you 15 years ago that you would have to convince people that men cannot give birth, you would have had pity on me for my delusion. But yet today, this is becoming the cultural norm. These kind of conversations are taking place. If I would have told you 15 years ago that in one of our local high schools, just one town over, in the boys' bathroom, tampons were placed for those boys that would need them. Thank God the kids rebelled and ripped them out and threw them out of the bathroom. But the fact of the matter is, if I would have told you this 15 years ago, you would have looked at me like I am crazy. My point is that our culture is making it easier and easier to compromise because of the constant lowering of standards and redefining of what is right and wrong. And if truth be told, we have become somewhat desensitized to spiritual standards, something we mustn't hold the world accountable to, but we have to hold ourselves accountable to. Can I be transparent with you for just a moment? I love watching mob movies. And it may have something to do with the fact that I'm Italian. I have seen every mob movie that there is to see, and sadly, more than one time. I have watched the Sopranos. I have watched all of the Godfathers. I have watched Goodfellas. I've even watched Scarface, even though it's not really an Italian mob movie. It's close enough. Say hello to my little friend. Anyway, I have watched all of these movies, and, and, and I was kind of like, is there any more for me to watch? And so a friend of mine, who happens to also be an Italian, he put me on to a new mob sitcom on Netflix, and, it, and it's called Gravesend. 
And so I thought, wow, this is wonderful. And so just the other day, I decided it was a rainy day. I was going to sit down and I was going to binge watch this particular series, Graves End. And I watched the first one. And if I'm honest with you, I loved it. I was like, this is, this is incredible. And I watched the second one. And as I'm watching the second one, I heard the Holy Spirit say this to me. You have no problem with this? He said, you're not bothered by the F-bomb being used as an adjective, adverb, and noun in every other sentence? He said, you are that desensitized to foul language that it doesn't bother you to constantly hear it and ingest it? He then said this to me, and you have no problem with the violence? You have no problem watching one particular person after another particular person get cruelly murdered and stuffed into the back of a trunk? Then he said this, and you have no problem watching fornication on the big screen? And I had a choice at that moment. My choice was to continue to keep my standards low and serve self and comfort in that moment and compromise or choose to honor Christ. And so not because I'm holier than you, not because I'm better than you, not because I'm more spiritual than you, but because God has been challenging me and as a result challenging you to live an unhindered life, I made a decision to turn it off and never watch another mob movie again in my entire life. And that may seem like, come on, pastor, really? Do you really, are we really going there now? Are we really getting that legalistic in our relationship with the Lord? And here's my question for you. My question for you is, where is the standard? Doesn't there have to be a line? I mean, think about it. If it's okay to watch mob movies where they use the F-bomb every other sentence, how many F-bombs can I put in one of my sermons? If I put 10, would that be okay? I'm kind of guessing if I dropped one F-bomb in one of my sermons that the church would empty out and you would never come back again, or at least you shouldn't. Why? Because you know that there is a standard. And here's my question for us as believers in Christ. Is that standard only for the church house and not for our house? Is that standard only for certain circumstances and not for our entire life? God is calling us to drop the weight and the sin that does so easily beset us. Can I, can I just push this just a little bit further before getting to Daniel? There was this young man, I was reading about him, and he came home, 13-year-old, and he said, Mom, I'd like to go see this rated R movie with my friends. And the mom, being a good Christian mom, and he was a Christian kid, said, well, I have just a couple of questions. Is, is this movie going to be good for your relationship with the Lord? Is there any, is there any inappropriate things in the movie? And the young boy, he didn't want to, you know, lie to his mom. And so he said, mom, it's really not that bad. There are a lot of other movies that are worse and there's only a little bit of bad stuff in it. And so his mom, being the wise woman that she was, said, well, okay, as long as there's only a little bit of bad in it. And so before she could change her mind, he ran up to his room to tell his friends that he could go that particular Friday night. 
Meanwhile, the mom is down in the kitchen. She decides to bake him some brownies. And so she gets out the brownie mix and the eggs and the flour and everything, and she's stirring it all up, and then she goes out to the backyard for her secret ingredient. And she canvasses the grass real good, and she goes over and she picks up just a little teaspoon full, just barely a teaspoon full of something that the dog left behind. And she mixed it into the brownie mix and she laid it out in the pan and she put it into the oven and she was baking it and the house was smelling like brownies. And so the boy came down, mom, do I smell my favorite brownies? And she took them out of the oven and she placed them on the counter. She said, you sure do. And she sliced them up real nice and she put it on a plate and, and she said, but one, 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 one thing before you eat that, I just want to let you know about my secret ingredient. She said, I went out into the backyard and I got some of Ginger's poop. But don't worry, I just put a little bit in it. And the kids said, Mom, you're crazy. How could you do that to me? Moral of the story, a little bit of poop goes a long way. Sounds like a scripture to me. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 6. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you can become a new unleavened batch as you really are. Am I suggesting legalism? No. Am I suggesting being the holiness police in other people's lives and imposing your standards on them? No. Am I suggesting that rated R movies will send you to hell? No. But I am telling you that there is a line. And that line is becoming more and more blurred because we are living in a culture where compromise and the lowering of standards and right and wrong is being totally confused and turned upside down that the people of God have a lot of poop in their lives. Listen to what James challenges us to do. James chapter 1, verse number 27. He says, pure an undefiled religion before God and the Father is to visit the orphans and the widows in trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. It's amazing to me how we hear very little teaching along these lines in today's modern church I know of no other Bible great that would be a better example of living an uncompromised life for God than Daniel and the three Hebrew children. And what makes Daniel's life and their lives so relevant to ours, even though it was many, many, many centuries ago, is Daniel lived in a depraved culture. Similar to the type of culture that you and I are confronted with today. It was the Neo-Babylonian culture. The people worshipped all sorts of gods. They had all sorts of crazy beliefs and relative truths. And they too had a confused identity permeating their culture. But perhaps a worse kind of confused identity and identity dysphoria as is happening today. And that is they had a guy who was the leader of the empire who actually thought he was God. Not like figuratively thought he was God, but actually thought 
that he was God. Not in the way that you and I think that we are God. You know, like when we think we get to call the shots in our life. Like when we try to manipulate outcomes. Like when we think God exists for our pleasure instead of us existing for his. Not not that kind of God delusion. But this guy actually thought he was God. And here's the reason why. In order to create this Neo-Babylonian empire, he had to conquer all of these other kingdoms and lands. And he noticed as he went into these other kingdoms and lands that they all worshipped these other gods and idols. And his conclusion was that if he was able to defeat the people who worshiped these gods and those gods did nothing to intervene and save the people, then he was stronger than that God. And so what he would do is he would go into these kingdoms and places and he would defeat them and he would take, in many cases, their idols uh, that were were, were, were uh, carved out of wood and he would put them into a shrine in his palace to remind himself that he was stronger than this God and that God and this God and that God and the other God. And so he came to the place where the last kingdom that he was able to conquer was the kingdom of Judah. And because he was able to conquer the kingdom of Judah, he assumed that he was more powerful than the God of Israel. And he captured Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they are now living in this kind of culture, this culture of craziness, this culture of identity dysphoria, this culture where anything goes, this culture where right is now wrong and wrong is now right. Daniel lived in this culture. And when Daniel lived in this culture, one of the things that you'll find out about Daniel was that Daniel was not influenced by that culture. Matter of fact, when you read through the book of Daniel, you find out that Daniel influenced four Babylonian kings. Two of them, at least, he led to faith in the God of Israel. Daniel didn't compromise. Daniel didn't look for a politically correct position. Daniel did not subscribe to the relative truth of his day. Daniel stood tall in a bow-down culture and instead of being influenced by it, became a real influencer for Christ. People are searching, by the way, he even influenced Nebuchadnezzar who came to uh, belief in God Jehovah, which tells us that despite what people have on the outside, despite what they think, they're searching for answers. They're searching for a God who is more powerful than their circumstances. They're searching for a God who can give meaning to their world. They're searching for a God who has answers for their life, more powerful than their struggles, more powerful than their insecurities, more powerful than their emptiness. And so we don't push people like that away. What we do is we use an uncompromised life in order to influence people who need those answers because no matter what they say, they are watching to see how your God makes a difference. And when we come to Daniel and his three friends, we see some characteristics of what an uncompromised life looks like. Number one, it determines to be an influencer for the cause of Christ. Today, everybody wants to be an influencer, right? Right? The goal is get as many followers, 
as many likes and as many views as you possibly can, and then begin to monetize your social media platforms because that is much better than a nine to five. Now, I agree with maybe some of that, but not all of that. I agree that every Christian should get as many eyes on them as possible. Not for the sake of you being lifted up, not for the sake of you being filled with pride, but for the sake of you not monetizing things, but lifting up Jesus and presenting to the world the glory of the risen Christ. Daniel could have given into that culture. He had every opportunity to. You see, when Daniel and his three friends were captured, they were immediately trained in the way of the Chaldeans or the culture of the day. They were given new names in an attempt to strip them of their Hebrew identity, which was grounded in their relationship with God Jehovah. They were taught the language of the Chaldeans, again, cultural conformity. And so what this culture was trying to do is strip them of every association with God, Jehovah, even teaching them the language. And they learned things like, like this, I like your fit, a.k.a. I like the way you dress. It's one of the cultural linguistics of today. Oh, bro, you dripping, man. That means you're wearing jewelry that's blinging like that. Or, pass this, your shoes are eaten. My shoes are doing what? They eaten. That means you got some nice sneakers on right there. Or, can I get the biggie size? That means, can you upgrade my fast food to supersize status, right? And so they learn the, the cultural lingo of the day because the language that you speech, speak and the name that you give things creates a cultural conformity. See, we don't realize why it's so important for the enemy of our soul to redefine stuff. Because that's where cultural conformity comes in. And in addition to teaching them the language and the literature of the Chaldeans and giving them new names, they gave them a daily provision of the king's delicacy and wine. And they did this for three years. And you might be going, well, this is pretty good. Especially if you're like a teenager, like they were. They got educated for free for three years. Free college for everybody for three years. They got free food and all the drink that they wanted for free. They thought this must have been great, but not Daniel. Daniel didn't see it as great. The enemy was trying to culturally condition him in an attempt to rob him of his identity and use him for his purpose. And so what did he do? D Daniel decided, I am not going to bow down in a broken culture. Instead, I am going to stand up in this bow down culture for the things that are right. So what did Daniel do? Daniel chapter one, verse number eight. He purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself by watching movies with one F-bomb after another F-bomb after another F-bomb. That he would not defile himself by watching fornication on television. That he would not defile himself by watching extreme violence all the time on television. He decided to not defile himself with a portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. He purposed in his heart to be an influencer instead of to be influenced by the culture. This is what it takes to live an uncompromised life. 
It takes a decision. It takes you saying to yourself, why aren't I bothered by this? And deciding, you know what? I'm drawing a standard. I'm not going to impose my standard on everybody else. This is where Christians get into trouble, right? You try to make people who don't have the same Holy Spirit on the inside of you, people who don't see the things the same way, you impose, how about just living your life for God, letting your life shine for God, and then allowing the Holy Spirit to minister to them? And it paid. After 10 days of not eating of the king's delicacies, only eating vegetables, he physically looked better and was sharper than everybody else. Daniel chapter 1, verse number 19. Then the king interviewed them. And among them all, uh, among them all, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. By the way, these names right here you may not recognize because these were their Hebrew names before they were given uh, Chaldean names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore they served before the king, and in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in all his realm. What's the moral of the point? That God's ways are better. So many times we think that the ways of compromise produce better results in our life, but clearly we see here that God's ways are better, and they're not slightly better, they were ten times better. When you stay unspotted, it pays. When you don't conform, God gives you a crown. When you don't bow, God makes sure that you are blessed. When you don't blend in, God makes you stand out. Why? God's ways are better. And if we are going to live... And on compromised life, we need to determine that we are going to be influencers rather than those that are influenced. Number two, an uncompromised life takes a stand despite the cost. Nebuchadnezzar is impressed with Daniel and his three friends and how smart they are and how healthy they look. And he's starting to become inquisitive of what it is about Daniel and his friends that separates them but he still thinks he's God. By the way, give people the opportunity to grow. Some of us think, well, I'm going to do the right thing in front of these people, and the next day we expect, oh, they're going to come to me and say, I want to give my life to Jesus. The same way it took me, let's see, I'm saved now since I am 13, and I am only 33, so I'm saved for 40 years. 40 years. I preached the gospel Every week. And until two weeks ago, I'm watching Italian crime movies. Was I unsaved before then? No. Did, would I consider myself to live an unholy life? No. But growth takes place in our lives over time, doesn't it? But yet we want to give nobody who's outside of the kingdom of God time to grow. And so here is this guy, Nebuchadnezzar, and he recognizes it. He looks at it, he sees, and he says, you know what, there's something different about them, but he still thinks he's God. And so he decides to build this 90-foot gold statue of himself, and he tells everyone that wherever they are, when they hear the sound of the trumpet and the music, wherever they are, whatever they are doing, they are to stop and bow down to the golden image and declare him as God. Now, what's interesting about this is 
Daniel is not in this group because by this time, Daniel is in charge of a province, and this is in one particular province. Daniel is in another province because people often wonder, well, why didn't Daniel get thrown into the fiery furnace? He wasn't actually there in this moment. Daniel chapter 3, verse number 4 says, Then a herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, the psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, that you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up, and whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Now, you may have noticed that here's how they were conditioning them, through sound and image. When you hear the sound and when you see the image, bow down and worship. Can, can I really get up in our grill this morning? The more of the sounds of the culture that you subject yourself to, the more of the images of the culture you sub, subject yourself to, what you're doing is you're bowing down and worshiping the God of culture. That is the intentional way in which culture conditions us. And it is all around us through our eye gates and ear gates. The constant messaging showing us what is wrong as normal. And the TVs and the movies and the reframing of standards. And it, all it is doing is it's getting us to bow down to the God of culture. But here's the thing. King Nebuchadnezzar wasn't kidding. He really, this guy was ruthless. This wasn't an idle threat. This wasn't like, you know, this is really going to happen to you, but not, it's really not. This was everything is on the line. You stand up for God, you are losing your life. Can we be honest? How many of us could stand up to that kind of pressure? We can't stand up to being canceled. We cave to political correctness. And we think that somehow, some way, if our life is going to be on the line, that we are somehow, some way going to choose Christ. We need to grow a whole lot more in our Christianity. And I'm not talking about being mean-spirited. I'm not talking about being unkind. But at the same time, I am talking about not playing along. I'm not playing along with all the confusion. I'm not playing along with all of the insane things. I'm not playing along. If y'all want to play in that reign and that realm of fine. But guess what? I'm not joining in. That's what Daniel was doing. That's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were doing. This wasn't an idle threat. It's easy to see how this meant a serious stand for Christ no matter what the cost. Daniel chapter 3. Then Nebuchadnezzar in rage and fury gave the command. Somebody narked. Everybody bowed down and somebody narked. And so they were the only ones standing up in this crowd of people. Word gets back to the king. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? He liked them. He, he, he saw something special in them. Is it true? Please tell me it ain't so. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
that you do not serve my gods nor worship the gold image which I have set up. Now if you are ready at the time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, the psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the golden image which I made, good, I'm going to give you another chance. Oh, you must not have really meant that, that you don't agree with that wrong that culture says is right. I'm going to give you another chance. Uh, did you really say? Well, uh, you know, yeah, yeah. I'm going to give you one more chance. And notice what happens. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Can you imagine the pressure to bow? The king is enraged. The fire is burning. Everyone else has bowed. Being tossed in is imminent. But here is their response. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered the king and said, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this manner. By the way, don't cast your pearls before swine. There are some questions that are being asked for the purpose of creating contention. The motivation is not correct. Sorry, I have no need to answer you in that matter. King, we don't have to give you an answer, but what we're going to, Nebuchadnezzar speaks to them. We have no need to answer you in this matter. If it is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. They took a stand despite the high cost. Taking a stand despite the high cost requires Courage in a bow-down culture. You stick out like a sore thumb. You will be labeled intolerant, unloving, out of touch, and narrow-minded. You might get canceled. I remember when they shut down our, what was it, our Facebook page or Instagram page. Just can't shut it down. And now we're getting censored for too much religious content. We're being canceled because we are pushing against, not in a, in a, in a, we're out to get you way, but just speaking the truth, just declaring what the word of God has to say. We're experiencing pressure. It takes courage to stand up in a, in a culture that is asking us to conform. But what else does a uncompromised life look like? It has, or it is marked by a confidence in God. Something happens to your faith when you live an uncompromised life. Have you ever noticed how you don't want to pray when you're compromising? Have you ever noticed that there is a seemingly wall between you and God when you're compromising? You think, well, why bother? God's really not going to hear me anyway. There is this expectation that things won't work out, that God is mad. That may not be theologically true, but at the same time, it does something on the inside of our heart. In the same way, an uncompromised life causes your faith to soar. It gives you a confidence in God. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35 says, Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great recompense of reward. In other words, an uncompromised life gives us a confidence in God that produces 
godly results in our lives. Notice again what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say. They say, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, if you throw us in to the burning, fiery furnace, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. Watch this. And he will deliver us from your hand. Here's what they said to the king. They said, king, you know what? We serve a God who's a little different than who you think you are. We serve a God that we remember was a cloud of smoke by day and a pillar of fire by night. We serve a God who makes roads in the ocean. We serve a God who promised no weapon formed against us will prosper. We serve a God who said he will give his angels charge over us. We serve a God that said, if we stand still, we will see his salvation. We serve a God who promised that his shield or his grace will surround us like a shield. We serve a God who said, if a thousand fall at this side and 10,000 at this side, it won't come nigh our dwelling. We remember when he split the Red Sea. We remember when he showed up in that cloud of smoke and that cloud of fire. We remember when he brought water from the rock. We remember when he rained down manna from heaven. King, you may think you're God because you kill people, but we serve a God who gives life to people. King, our God is able. See, we need to understand anytime we compromise, here's what we're saying, God can't do it on his terms. That's what it means. If I compromise in, in, in my marriage, God can't do it on his terms. If I compromise in my finances, God can't do it on his terms. If I compromise in my integrity, God can't do it on his terms. And every time we feel that way, you know what's happening? We're leaving 10 times better on the table. We're leaving a better blessing on the table. So God is saying, don't compromise. But notice what they say. God is not just able. There's a lot of people out there think God is able. Their problem is they don't know he's willing. And he will. Not he's able, but and he will. How do we know God will? Because of the cross of Christ. Romans chapter 8 verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? Now somebody is saying, yeah, but pastor, the second part of that. They said, but, but if not, but if not, they just said, God is able and God will. Now, now here's my problem. You just heard them say, God can do all these things and God will deliver us from the burning fire furnace. You just heard them say that. To think and if not means if God doesn't is a complete misrepresentation and misreading of the text. Because if it meant if God doesn't, we still won't bow down. Well, duh, you're going to be dead. If God doesn't, you're going to die in the furnace. Of course, you're not bowing down to worship Nebuchadnezzar then. What were they saying? The if not was not based on whether God does or doesn't. It was based upon whether Nebuchadnezzar does or doesn't. If you throw us in, then God will deliver us 
if you don't throw us in, God has delivered us from the furnace. If you do throw us in, God will deliver us in the furnace. Either way, we're not worshiping your God. If you cancel us, we're still going to serve the Lord. If you don't cancel us, we're still putting stuff on social media that declares the truth. If you do, it doesn't matter. If you don't, it doesn't matter. Our faith is firmly planted in the risen, resurrected Jesus Christ. We're not changing. That's what they were saying. You see, there's a confidence. There's a confidence. Faith sees God come through. Listen to what that's the fourth characteristic of, of an uncompromised life. It sees God come through. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35 again. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great recompense of reward. For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you might receive The promise. Notice if you don't compromise, you keep your confidence and then you receive the promise. You'll see God come true. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to compromise. And if we didn't know the story, we might be tempted to figure out the outcome. Think about the outcome from, or the story from, uh, first of all, Nebuchadnezzar's perspective. From his point of view, He's conquered every single land. Every land he's went into, people have claimed to uh, worship a particular deity. By definition, a deity is somebody who should be able to protect and deliver. None of those deities have been able to. He has just conquered Judah. It seemed as though, therefore, the God of Israel had not been faithful to his people. And so he says to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he says, who is that God who is able to deliver you from my hand? And and so he puts this God into the same category as every other God because this God was not able to save from death. Isn't that the dividing line? Isn't the dividing line between whose God is really God, death itself, isn't that really the issue? Because if you could kill God, guess what? He ain't God. But how many of you know if you can't kill God, if God is both the author and the finisher of life, if you try to put God in a grave and God walks out of that grave three days later, there's something different about that God. See, he was confused as to who God was because he had the right assumption. If you can kill what belongs to God, that God ain't God from Nebi's perspective. From Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's perspective, a natural perspective would have been, God allowed Nebuchadnezzar to take our land. God has allowed us to be thrown into the burning fiery furnace. God has not been faithful to his promises. This would have been a natural and limited way of viewing the circumstances. But when it comes to God, perception is not always reality. 
When it seems like God, what seems like is is not always what it is. And the reason is we don't always have all the details. And the reason is we're not always privy to all of his plans. And so many times we doubt his faithfulness, but that's why the Bible tells us to walk by faith and not by sight. Because when it looked like God had failed, the truth of the matter is, the rest of the details of the story, when it looked like God had failed, the truth was God wasn't finished. Can I just encourage somebody right now who is in the middle of something and you feel like God has failed? That is not the truth. That might be what reality seems to tell you, but perception sometimes, oh, that was what you perceive, but reality is God has not failed. He's just not finished. God may have something better in store for you. And so King Nebuchadnezzar, he looks into the fire. He has haste. He said, did we not cast three men into the fire? They answered and said, true, O king. He said, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. See, what I've learned is that when it looks like God has passed on delivering a promise, the truth is he's preparing a better promise. Let me say it again. What I've learned is that when it looks like God has passed on delivering a promise, the truth is he is preparing a better promise. I've learned that crosses lead to crowns. I've learned that tests lead to triumphs. I've learned that what seems like a setback is a sovereign way to become a setup. I've learned not to keep my eyes on the storm, but on the Savior. I've learned that my faith should not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Scripture said, had the rulers of this world, known what the cross was, that the cross was a doorway to deliverance and not death itself, they would have never crucified the Lord of glory. They went by perception. They thought God had failed. The fact of the matter is God was not finished yet. Sometimes, sometimes God delivers from Sometimes God delivers in. And, and I've thought about this. I don't know which way is better. Have you ever thought about the different things that happen to your relationship with God when God delivers from versus when God delivers in? When God delivers from, we discover that God can block what the enemy sent to break me. When God delivers from, we discover that God can override the assignment of the enemy. When God delivers from, we discover that God's sovereignty is greater than Satan's schemes. When, when God delivers from, we, we learn that God has dominion over the devil. But when God protects in, we discover that no weapon formed against us can prosper. When God delivers in, we discover nothing the enemy sends our way can stop us from fulfilling our assignment. When God delivers in, we discover that nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Not death, not life, not angels, not principalities, not powers, not things present, not things to come. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Sometimes God delivers from. Sometimes God delivers in. Whether God delivers in or whether God delivers from, blessed be the name of the Lord. One thing is for sure, though, when you live an uncompromised life, you will see God come through. The last mark of an uncompromised life, and I'm finished, 
is that it reveals Christ to others. Do you know why it's so hard for, and this is not always the case, so please, no condemnation over anybody that's in that in this circumstance. And sometimes it also takes time, and sometimes the spiritual blinders are so so strong. But you know why it's hard sometimes to win friends and family to Jesus? Because they see. They see what Christianity looks like on you, up close and personal. And sometimes, to please, please, if it's not you, if the shoe don't fit, don't wear it. And sometimes they see that there's not really much different here. Only thing different is uh, they go to church. Only thing different here is they go to Bible study. Everything else pretty much the same. Nebuchadnezzar said, and who is the God that will deliver you from my hands? Then he looks into the lives of these uncompromised children of God. He looks in to see, does their God make a difference when they're in the fire? Does their God make a difference in their integrity? Does their God make a difference in their outlook? Does their God make a difference in their joy level, in their peace, in the way they walk, in the way they talk, in the way they deal with people? Does their God make a difference when they are in the fire? Who is that God that will deliver you from my hand? And he looked into the fire. People are watching you when you are in the fire. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. And he rose with haste and he spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and they said to the king, True, O king, look, he answered, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire. They're not even hurt. And the form of the fourth is like unto the Son of God. Who is the God that will deliver you from my hand? King, he is the fourth man in the fire. King, he is the fourth man in the fire. He is the God who is able. He is the God that will go in with us when we go through. He is the God that is by our side when life is too much to bear. He is the God who power is greater than the presence of flames. He is the God who is with us in battle. He is the God who fights for us. He is the God who is there in difficult times. He is the God who is ever present. He is the God who will never leave us nor forsake us. He is the God who is there all of the time. He steps in when we are thrown in. He is the God who shows up when we're about to give up. He is the God who is real. The God who is greater. The God who is stronger. Who is that God? He's the God that you are no match for. You may think you're God, but let me introduce you to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. When Jesus, when when you live an uncompromised life, when you get thrown into the fire, you don't burn, but you do shine. When you get thrown into the fire, you don't burn, but you do shine. We are the light of the world, the salt of the earth. Jesus said, though, but God forbid, if the salt loses its savior, if the light loses its glow, and we are living in a time where the light is going out, 
And the reason why the light is going out is because the church is steeped in compromise. And God is saying, it is time to arise, shine. Let your light be seen by all men that they may glorify your Father who is in heaven. Listen to me. You are, you are what they see. We are living epistles read by all men. You are the 67th book of the Bible. Somebody said, what would that mean, Pastor? There's 66, by the way. You're number 67. Don't compromise to be cool, thinking that will win people. Let your light shine in an uncompromised fashion and watch how it affects people. It's time for us to shine bright. It's time for the church to rise up. Then the king promised, verse number 30, he said, then the king promised Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, promotion in the province of, of Babylon. He put them in charge. What am I telling you? After the fire comes the favor. Why don't we see the favor of God showing up in our life? Because we're not willing to walk through the fire in an uncompromised way. And so the favor never comes. But God wants you to know that after you have been tried, you will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised. That after the fire comes the favor. That when you count it all joy... When you fall into diverse temptations, you will come out perfected in every way. After the fire comes the favor. I don't know what kind of fire hell has sent your way, but here's what I do know. I do know that the intended flame won't burn you. I do know that it will strengthen your faith. I do know it will burn off the impurities. I do know it will be a testimony. I do know God will use it as a platform. Get ready for the favor after the fire. Why? He is that fourth man in the fire. Don't compromise. He'll walk with you. He is the fourth man in the fire. Don't bow. You won't burn. He is the fourth man in the fire. There is another walking in the fire. There is another standing next to me. Come on, declare it with me. 